very important points here. Jeremiah the prophet prophesied about the return, and it happened. And Isaiah the prophet prophesied that there is going to be a king who is going to be instrumental to the return of the Jews, and it happened. But something amazing that you should know about the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied that, that Cyrus would appear 150 years before the prophecy, meaning that uh, Cyrus would appear on the scene 150 years later, and he would name this king by name, Cyrus. Uh, I don't know whether you are aware that at the time when the, uh, the, the, the Israelites, the Jews, returned, Cyrus was already a Persian king for 20 years. And after 20 years, he then conquered the Babylonians. And after the conquest of the Babylonians, he would make the proclamation and then the preparation, then the return. And if you, if you calculate the period, it's exactly 70 years. In, in other words, even though Cyrus was a Persian king, the proclamation cannot, it cannot be given too early. He cannot come into power too early. The, ch the change of power had to happen at just the right time. So you see, the, the hand of God in, in this 100-year history is very clear. In order for everything to happen, as we see in Ezra and Nehemiah, 100 years Five pagan kings, not all friendly towards the Jews. He had to, um, he had to send uh, two prophets. He had to touch 49,897 hearts to return. Let me just give you an idea how difficult it is uh, to motivate 49,897 people. Many of you are of uh, ethnic Chinese. Let's say, because of some disaster in China, with a massive loss of life, and the Chinese government calls to the whole world, you Chinese, come, come back and rebuild China. I, I know maybe your, your grandfather was from China, my father was from China, would we go back to rebuild China, it's very unlikely. And, and therefore, out of a million people, 49,897 Jews went back. What happened? God moved them. The Bible says they, they were moved by God to go back. And uh, uh, kings have to support his plan. Leaders have to accomplish his purposes. How how many Lee Kuan Yews can you get in a century? A man of his stature. Not easy. I mean, uh, in America with 300, um, uh, over a million people, you, you can raise seven, uh, uh, in this 100 years, there were 17 presidents. No problem. But it's so hard to find a person of prime minister caliber. But God raised leaders. Uh, Zerubbabel, Jeshua, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and people of great caliber to go back. I'm just telling you this, that, that this, is, this, this is the work of God, the, it's the move of God. Why is it happening? Because God is faithful. God remember His promise. Right, let's just move on, right? Uh, I, I just want to uh, say this before I move on, that I, I, I think that God can do anything that He wants to do. He can do it at any time He wishes, in any way He desires, for any purpose that He determines. In His absolute discretion, everything is within His, at His disposal, any part of creation, anybody to accomplish His will and to execute His plans. And He did it again and again and again for the Jews. Why? Because He is faithful. Now let's go to the passage uh, proper. I told uh, 
Chiming that I would recapitulate, and he's very, very concerned when I say recapitulate because I would take very long, but I wouldn't take very long. I'll just give you, I'll just give you the high points, the high points in Astra and the high points in, uh, sorry, I, I should have shown this a bit earlier. The high points in Astra and high points in the book of Nehemiah. The high points in the earlier book is this. The pagan, it was a pagan king who initiated the return of the Jews to Jerusalem. That's a high point. The pagan king would take whatever that Nebuchadnezzar uh, took from the temple and say, well, you can have it back, bring it back. Worship was restored. Temple was built. The word was honoured. People were rededicated. These were the high points in Ezra. The high points in Nehemiah were on the right-hand side. The wall was completed in record time, 52 days. That's a high point. Even the enemies of the Jews were amazed. The word of God was honoured. Remember, uh, Ezra had to do his thing again and everybody just cried and wept and they listened and, and there was a revival of the word again. And hearts were renewed, chapter 9. The covenant was made and not just like, oh, we agree, we'll, we promise to do this. It had to be in writing. And the leaders were agreed to sign on the covenant. This is really serious stuff. Covenant made Nehemiah 10. Jerusalem was repopulated because the people knew that this is going to be a great city. It will be strong. It will be prosperous. It has to be de defended in order for temple worship to thrive. You need people uh, uh, to be living there. So how many volunteered or were uh, selected by ballot? Four, 3,044 people. 3,044 3, men. So with their children and wives, maybe 10,000 repopulated Jerusalem. Amazing. And the war was rededicated. Another amazing thing because there was a really huge celebration at the climax. Nehemiah 12 is the climax. Now, I think um, if I were Nehemiah, I would choose to end the book at chapter 12. The book should end at chapter 12 because it is really the climax. And preachers must be able to preach the last sermon, the 10th sermon on the climax. But it was not so. There has to be a chapter 13. And I will tell you why I'm troubled. Okay, let's go to chapter 13. Go to your Bibles and we will read this together. I'll read selectively. It's a long chapter. I will read from uh, verse 6. But during all this, oh, by the way, I want you to know that uh, Nehemiah was governor for 12 years and then he went back to Susa. He went back to service of the king. And then when he came back, he wrote this last part. And during all this, I was not in Jerusalem. For in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days, I obtained leave from the king. How, many, how long he was away, we, we don't know, right? But he, he came back, verse 7. And I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashab had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God. It grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room and I commanded them to cleanse the room and I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offering and the thanksgiving and, uh, and the frankincense. Verse 10. I also realized that the portions of the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to the fields. So I contended with the rulers and say, why is the house of the Lord forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. 
Then all Judah brought the tithes of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. And are appointed as treasures over the storehouse, Jeremiah the priest, Zadok the scribe, and the Levites, Padadiah the next, and next to them, Bethaniah, for they were considered faithful to the task uh, to distribute to the brethren. Verse 15. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on Sabbath, and they bring in the sheaves, loading donkeys with their wine grapes, fix all kinds of burdens which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day which they were selling provisions. Men of Tyre went there also who brought their fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on Sabbath day to the children of Judah and Jerusalem. I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not our fathers do this? Did not our God bring all the disasters on them, on the city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath? Then you go down, all the way down. Verse 23. In those days also I saw Jews who had married women of Esau. Ammon and Moab, and half the children spoke the language of Esau. And he could not speak the language of Judah and spoke according to the language of the other people. So I contended with them and I cursed them and, and struck some of them and put their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wife to their sons, nor take daughters for your sons for yourself. Verse 30, thus I cleanse them from everything pagan and I assign them to the duties to the priests and the Levites, each to their service. In chapter 10, last week's sermon, remember, they made covenants. These were the covenants. In chapter 10, they covenanted and pledged that they will support God's work and not neglect the Levites. In chapter 13, tithing stopped. Levites had to return to work because they were not paid. In chapter 10, they pledged and promised and covenanted to keep the Sabbath. In chapter 13, he found people working on Sabbath, trading on Sabbath. In chapter 10, they covenanted and pledged and promised that they would be faithful in relationships and not take foreign wives. In chapter 13, intermarriages was widespread. Can you see that everything that they pledged just two chapters ago, years ago, in every respect, they had violated. So, I find this chapter very distressing and I just don't know how to handle this, today's sermon. That I should end the series like this? Why should the story of the miraculous deliverance, the miraculous return of the Jews in this, this wonderful period of the nation's history end with chapter 13? I want to know more. There should be a chapter 14. And I realized that there is actually a chapter 14. Only that it's not called chapter 14. It is called Malachi. The prophet Malachi was ministering at this time. So if you turn to, chapter, to the book of Malachi, you will get the details. This is an update after chapter 13 of Nehemiah. Indeed, the priests were unfaithful, dishonouring God with cheap sacrifices and corrupted teaching. Indeed, the people were unfaithful, breaking marriages, uh, breaking marital uh, covenant, robbing God in unpaid ties. And indeed, the nation was unfaithful, slandering God with godless, careless talk. You know, um, in chapter Malachi chapter 3, verse 14, 
You know what the people were saying? It's futile to serve God. Malachi 3.14, they said, it's futile to serve the Lord. What do we gain by gaining? What do we gain by carrying out all these requirements and, and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? You see, the attitude of the people had changed. Their, their attitude towards God had changed. They didn't discard their faith. You know, uh, I think they were still performing their religious duties. Faith didn't just suddenly become non-existent. Uh, but just God seemed less important. Faith then retreats very gradually. Uh, uh, prayer is hard. Uh, the festivals are, is so tedious. And, and bringing all the sacrifices is such a chore. And slowly there is a, that retreating of the faith. You know, you see at the bottom there, uh, the words in blue, Laodicea Church. Actually, in the New Testament, something like that happened, right? If you read... Uh, the book of the letter of Paul to the Colossians. And, uh, Paul said that you, you bring this letter and you make sure that it is read in the church in Laodicea. And you will see from Colossians 2:1, Colossians chapter 4, verse 13 to 16, that it really appeared that Laodicea church was uh, a healthy church, alive. But by the time Revelation was written in chapter 3, it was 25 years later, only 25 years. And you know what Jesus had to say about the Laodicean church? Their hearts didn't belong to God anymore. Of course, the, the church was still functioning, but their, it appeared that their hearts didn't belong to God anymore. So let me tell you, let me ask you, what, what, do, you, what do you think happened between chapter 12 to chapter 13? What do you think happened? Let me suggest to you that this is what happened. Between chapter 12 and chapter 13, they can look back the dark and difficult time in its history. They had already overcome persecution, pessimism, and problem. No more frustrations and interruptions. The captivity has ended. They have conquered fears. They have resisted oppos oppositions and confronted uh, their enemies. They have tackled every challenge. Discouraged no more. Defeat is in the past. The temple is built. Worship is restored. The war is up. City is repopulated. They have trade. No more threats. Everything was happening according to plan. And this is when things get very difficult. Life was comfortable and good. And you know what? Jesus say about this kind of condition, he said that it is very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God because they have no need. They're so sufficient. There's very little reason to be seeking God and to, uh, to pursue God. You know, God says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. I'll tell you what, if faith is so important to God, it is very important to Satan too. God and Satan are after the same thing. God wants to build our faith and Satan will diminish it. In the parable of the sower, uh, in the parable in Luke chapter 8, verse 1 to 15, very quickly, this is not the, just to tell you what the devil is doing. Of the four of the seeds that is just sown, when the devil can snatch the seed as quick immediately, he will snatch it immediately. If he cannot snatch it immediately, he will destroy it quickly. If he cannot destroy it quickly, he will choke it tightly. The devil is after the same thing as God. And so back to Luke chapter 18. I remember uh, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus said that it is very hard, actually impossible in some version, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And immediately after uh, Jesus said those words, he offered hopeful words. His hopeful words were this, 
what is impossible with man is possible with God. Verse 27. And then, Luke chapter 19. He demonstrated that immediately he went into Jerusalem, to, to Jericho, and the impossible was made possible with God. He moved into the streets and he saw not just a rich man, but a horrible rich man, the worst possible rich man, Zacchaeus. And then he saved Zacchaeus just to make a point. What is difficult with man is possible with God. This is grace. And so there is hope even as the devil is working hard, God triumphs and we are still in the house of God. Now let me tell you what God wants to do for us and is doing for us. Romans 5.2 says this, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Ephesians 2.8, by grace you have been saved through faith. Salvation happened by grace, by faith into grace, by grace through faith. It happened at salvation. It continues for everything else in life. And I see this as, uh, as uh, I illustrate it this way. Grace is God's hand giving. Faith is man's hand receiving. Grace provides. Faith possesses. Grace is God's part. Faith is man's part. Grace makes it available. Faith accepts it. You know, I want you to know that God's hand is stretched out. It's stretched out to us. And God is pursuing us. I know God is pursuing us. We are saved because God pursued us. Many blessings are received uh, without my asking. No good thing does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. Psalm 84, 11. Make no mistake about it that God uh, generously supplying and, and, and pursues us. But it is a mistake to think that we do not need to pursue God, that God does all the pursuing. That would be wrong. Let me just illustrate what I mean. You know, uh, I have gone for healing prayer service long before PPH started the healing prayer service because I had a lot of medical problems when I was younger. One of my medical problems is, of course, my skin problem. It, which affects every, every, the male line. Okay? So my eldest brother, second brother, my fourth brother, me, everybody got very severe skin problem. So uh, I've been prayed for by church members and leaders and, and everybody who could lay hands on me were all, had already prayed for me. But one day, I went to be prayed for right, in Lights Out Evangelism and I was healed. So now I always invite people uh, who are very ill that... <laughs> Let's go. Let's go for a healing prayer service. Uh, you know, the kind of response I get is uh, normally like that. I've already, I have already prayed and God already knows. If He wants me to have it, He knows my address. Right? Or they will say, why should I travel all the way to this church there? God is everywhere. Does it mean that to have five people pray for me is more effective than just two. Oh, me, God already knows. No, I, I, I know what they mean, okay? I, I think I mean, it, it is correct. It's correct that it's true that healing can take place anywhere. It doesn't mean that uh, 10 people praying for you uh, will increase your chances of, of getting healed. I know that. I know that you can pray for yourself. I know that you can listen to sermons online. But I think it is not a bad thing to travel all the way <laughs> to Tampines, Lighthouse Evangelism to be prayed for, to travel all the way to Malacca because there's a church camp there, all the way to Bangkok uh, because there's a conference there. Uh, I, you know, just because you want to have a special time with God, uh, I believe that sometimes in an environment of faith with an atmosphere of worship, uh, we are drawn close. Because God draws us to Him, we are drawn close to Him. Healing may not take place. The teaching may not be great. 
But my, very often I feel that my faith is strengthened as I receive God's Word and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is what I mean. Pursuing God. Why should we, why should we be so arrogant to say that? God, you know, you want, you come. Why should we say that? Some things, we must press in and pursue it. And it pleases God. Look at this. This is what God says. Second Chronicles chapter 15, verse 2 and 15. A revival was started by Asa, and God sent a prophet to speak to Asa. Listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with Him. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. And of course, they sought the Lord, right? You know the, the revival there? Verse 15, And all Judah rejoiced about the oath because they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They sought the Lord earnestly, and He was found by them. As much as God wants, is pursuing us, we should be pursuing God. 2 Chronicles 7, 14, this is famous. It's, it's read so many times in a year. If my people who are called by my name, if they will be humble, pray, seek, repent, I will hear, I will forgive, I will heal. And then this, Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Deuteronomy 4, 49, but if from there, meaning in, in captivity, in the foreign land, if from there they seek the Lord, your God, you will find him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Let me now tell you a story about someone seeking. I'll tell the story of GPSK first because some people attended the first service and they didn't get to hear it and they are here to listen and then they are going to go away. So I'll give it to you first. Now, uh, you know, in... Uh, sometime in uh, 2003, my sister Jennifer and my brother-in-law Michael were set aside to be missionaries to the Dayaks in Kalimantan. Now, before that happened, before 2003, the Americans had started a work in Kalimantan among the Dayaks for many, many years. So the work had grown on the nominal role there were about 10,000 people uh, in, uh, in six regions. But these are all, there are people in the jungles and villages, very hard to get to places. Now, our sister Sauchi was teaching in a Bible school in Jakarta, and her students had to go out to all the churches for internship. So, Sister Sauchi would then have to visit these people. And Sister Sauchi said that she was. A horrible place. It's so inaccessible. It's so primitive. It is, and the worst thing about the people in this GPSK denomination is that they are, they are very carnal. Nobody wants to work with them. And this, the missionaries die, right? They return, and then there was, there was left with one angmo, and this angmo is just praying. You know, they were just asking the Lord, somebody must take over my work. And so he asked, she asked Sister Sauchi, is there anybody among the Indonesians who are prepared to take over the work? Of course, nobody wants to work. And then one day, this, this missionary, Amor missionary, was just praying and praying, and then a word came to him that it will be a Singaporean church. And Sauchi being a Singaporean said, I want to, the Lord said that this work is to be given to a Singaporean church. So Sauchi, knowing my brother, spoke to uh, brother Lawrence, my brother Lawrence said that, well, there is this denomination and then they are ministering in the Dayaks and Kalimantan, would you be prepared to take over? Actually, hoping that he won't because it's, it's, he knows that it's a very, very lousy work. My brother uh, said, okay, we'll take over. So, to take over means they got to send missionaries to work there, right, to continue the work. So, earmark Jennifer and Michael. So, immediately they went to Jakarta, Bandung for one year of language study after the one year of language study, they relocated to Singtang, Kalimantan to work among the Dayaks. And then it dawned upon them that this denomination is sick to the core. And I'll tell you what, what I mean. 
the highest level, the synoc, the leaders were corrupt, they were divisive, there was politicking. Among the members, there were disputes, there were quarrels, they were always talking about their needs, they were always asking for gifts and money and support. And so my brother-in-law and my sister, Jenny and Michael, uh, continue to, to teach, to preach, to equip, to disciples the, the pastors and, and a bit because they didn't have a missionary visa, they had to come back frequently. And she would share with me that this is a very difficult work. It is so sick. And she was praying for a revival. And my sister was there for one year, nine months. She went there in August, 2003, uh, uh, and then in 2006, uh, she met with an accident in, in the mission field and she died. Uh, now, the rest of the story, then other people told me that actually in that one year and nine months, the pastors and the members and their pastors' wives, they were observing this missionary. They mirrored the beauty of Christ, you see, and they, the more they see this couple, the more they see their poverty, that they are there. They are quarreling, they are discontented, they are greedy, they are dishonest, there is uh, integrity issues. But this is the missionary couple who don't have children because they are childless, and they are happier than us with children. They are so comfortable in Singapore, they leave everything there, and they are joyfully serving here. So in every respect, my sister and my brother-in-law tried to model it for them and to show them what it means to have Christ. Anyway, there's a lot of heartache and pain. My sister told me so. She was just praying for a revival. And when my sister died suddenly of an accident, the church, the, the whole denomination went into grief. There was grieving. And later on, they told LSBC because it was a sponsoring church, we pledge that we will repent of our sins and we will turn back to the Lord. We will remember everything Jenny has taught us. We will do everything she said because she modeled Christ and she could model for them. We will do everything she said. And so I was very interested. I, I checked with my brother Lawrence. How are things there? It has been 12 years. And my brother, uh, there are no more missionaries there now, but instead they, uh, they go back four times, six times a year, four times a year, and every time to teach, to equip, uh, to disciple. He said that in these 12 years, uh, Lawrence said that he's seeing, a, uh, he's seeing gradual change you know, because they don't talk about money now. Now they are so rich they can buy land. Uh, in, before, before they had no money because they were not uh, doing their work as pastors and they were quarreling with their wives. They're such poor models. Even though on nominal road they had 10,000 members, about 6,000 people will come. And not all 6,000 will come regularly, and of course they were not tithing. But now they were tithing, and from uh, uh, 6,000 uh, regular attenders, now they are 20,000 regular attendees. The, from the type of questions they asked, Lawrence could tell that they have a zeal for the work and commitment to the Lord. Michael and Jennifer did make an impact in one year and nine months. But actually, uh, who initiated all this? It's God. It has to be God. God, hearing the prayer of the missionary, the last surviving Angmo missionary, the Lord heard the prayers of Michael and Jenny, the Lord heard the prayers of some among the 6,000, there will be the remnants who will who will be praying for the denomination. And it happened. But it had to take a death for that to happen. You know, uh, now they are working uh, in, instead of, how many districts now? 11 regions instead of 6 regions. Uh, sorry, 25,000 uh, people attend church regularly instead of 6,000. 168 churches, 120 pastors. Marriages are stronger, church are self-supporting, leaders are strong, they are on revival. 
The other, the other thing uh, I wanted to ask was this. I asked my brother Lawrence while I was preparing the sermon that must all revival fizzle out? Must it always end in chapter 13? Because LSBC had a revival. I'll tell you the story of LSBC. You know, uh, sometime in about... Um, At the peak, at the peak of LSBC, they were called Exodus Brethren Church. At the peak, they had about 120 members. And then after, after 1990, the numbers started to decline. So from 120, 110, 190, 80, they were, they were just hovering about 80. And when the leaders met, they were asked, honestly, do you think the church is dying? The leaders say, we think the church is dying. And so they asked the members, what can we do? They said, well, uh, yeah, we prefer the worship there. Okay, let's do something about the worship. So they introduced contemporary, livelier songs. It didn't work. Say, what? Why are you leaving? Well, the sermons don't minister to us. It's very dry. We prefer the sermons there. They got to make it more interesting. Oh, the, the, the music is very dead. Let's have more instruments. They did everything they could. The numbers continued to drop. So one day, my sister-in-law, Cindy, uh, they used to live across the road. While walking back, they said, Lawrence, you know that the church is dying. What are you going to do about it? There's nothing that my brother could do about it. So what could they do? They started a prayer. In 1991, they formed a small group. They called a call group. A small group of people to pray for the church. In 1992, they formed a second group of people to pray for the church. Then, in 1993, on the 31st of May, that's 25 years, right? 1993, 31st of May, they were in Malacca for a church camp. It was the first day of their church camp. And uh, uh, Benny Ho uh, was a speaker. And he said that actually Benny was very sensitive to the fact that this is a brethren church don't talk about Holy Spirit. Don't do anything dra drama, drama. Just preach an ordinary sermon. So he, he preached a sermon. And at the end of the sermon, on the first night, he just made an altar call. He just say, no, no, non-emotionally uh, manipulative, raise your hand, any of you who feels spiritually dry, and come forward. So many hands were raised. And so he ministered to them and and then there were tears, a lot of tears. And, and Lawrence was just watching and said, oh, this, is, this is very uncomfortable. This is, I don't understand. We, we are not like that. And the next morning, there was another ordinary message. And the altar call was this. Stand up. Any one of you who feel that your prayer life is in shambles. And everybody stood up. And Lawrence had to go forward to help with the ministry. And then something else happened everybody start to hug one another and cry. They don't do this as brethren. Those still don't do this here. But there was a lot of weeping and crying. And you know what? They started to confess sins to one another. And there was reconciliation taking place on the second day. This is the work of God. So immediately they must have an emergency meeting because it's getting out of hand. So <laughs> they prayed that, God, what, do you, what are you doing? What is happening? So they decided to have a prayer meeting. You know, in a prayer meeting, when the Holy Spirit is visiting, it's, you'll be electrifying, right? So actually, it did happen. Huh? On the second night prayer meeting, more ministry, more outpouring of the Spirit, more crying, more deeper work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, then the, the, when the camp ended, they came back. You know how many people attended the camp? <laughs> the church was had about 80 over people attending. 40-odd people attended the church. The church camp was only 40-odd people. So half the church didn't attend the church camp. They had to bring the news back to them to just tell them what happened because they were very, very puzzled. Uh, bring brethren, they didn't know what to do. So they called my sister who was working in Brunei, come back and help us. My sister, uh, Jennifer, had a, uh, in, in uh, St. Andrew's Church in Brunei, had a revival. So they, they know what, what is revival, what is the outpouring of the Spirit. They came back to help Exodus Brethren Chapel. They were like the midwife. Right? And for uh, one year, 
they had a second service in my brother's house across the road there. And about 50, 60 people attended. Uh, the, the main service was still here, but that was the, the other service, the extra service. And I asked my brother, what about the supernatural? He said, yes, the supernatural did happen. Meaning, word of knowledge, word of prophecy, tongues, interpretation. It did happen. And I said, that, uh, the, the, stranger things happen. Like, people would uh, really see uh, gold dust on their, on their arms and all that, but very rare, but it, it really did happen. They were laughter, yes, dancing, yes. How long did it last? Only one year. After that one year, it completely stopped. So is the revival sustained? It is sustained because they, they had to continue to trust God for many, many more things. For example, buying of the land in Aokang, raising millions for the church building, starting a work of camping in the Aokang. So they, were, they had to trust God for so many more battles and challenges and, and territories and land they continually had to depend on God. And the fire was sustained, is sustaining uh, uh, to this day. The church is now 2,000, uh, so from 800 to 25 times bigger. And, but my brother said that it is a challenge to keep the fire going because now people are comfortable, they are richer, they have fewer needs. It's a constant challenge to keep the fire of revival going. You know, I, both stories have a, uh, I think, uh, some, some commonalities. Uh. It all starts when people pray and then God disturbs the heart of some people. And then there's a holy dissatisfaction, a sense of emptiness, thirst and hunger. And God knows us better than we know ourselves. God is the first to know the heart's condition. And being a good shepherd, He's proactive in bringing about revival. You know, just as we want to pursue God, God's also pursuing us. And I believe that when God sees eyes forming, He will not allow us to remain stagnant. God will not wait too long and do nothing. He will break the eyes. Sometimes He intervenes with troubles and trials and difficulties. But when the hand of God is extended, the hand of faith must be ready. Some things can only be received when we pursue God. Please remember this. Luke chapter 11. God desires an honest pursuit of Him. Luke 11, verse 9 and 10. So I tell you, keep on asking. You will receive. Keep on seeking. You will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings. The arm of grace is stretched. The arm of faith must reach out. Come near to God, James 4.8 says this, and God will come near to you. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Hebrew 3.8. 3, you know, this passage, uh, Revelation 3.20, uh, you, you know, right, that, that it has nothing to do with it. Uh, it's, it's not evangelistic text. It was written uh, to backslidden Christians. And Jesus, when Jesus said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. You know, that verse is Jesus calling for repentance. And it comes with the promise for renewal of fellowship. I believe that God wants to fill us. God's arm of grace is extended towards us. Um, 
You know, I was just talking to uh, Chikyong just now. This is uh, Zuwai's father. He said that he, he agrees with this verse. He said that actually, uh, many people don't understand that the whole point of pursuing is actually to know Him. You know, it's like you enter the, the imperial palace in, in Beijing, the Kukong. You just step into the main gate and say that, okay, I've seen the place already, let's go. Ridiculous. You know, it's so much more. The number of great halls finally leading to the throne room and after the throne room, the chambers of the king, there's so much. And, and, and God says that if, if you want to boast, can you boast that you know me? That it, it is not just that I'm the saviour God and the sovereign God, the creator God. There's so much more about me. Can you boast that you know me? That I'm compassionate and kind and loving. How many aspects of my friendship do you know? How many aspects of the fatherhood of God do you know? Can we press in to know you? Hosea 6.3, this is a fantastic verse and that's why I put it in two different versions. In the NLE, New Living Translation, oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know Him. He will respond to us as surely as the arrival of the dawn or the, or the coming of the rain in early springs. And then in the CEV version, let us do our best to know the Lord. His coming is as certain as the morning sun. He will refresh us like rain, renewing the earth in springtime. Um, You know, I was, this, this is a, this is a pre-church camp sermon. Um, the sermon which I scripted is not the sermon which I preached, which is why I say I struggle with it. I, I, think, I think God has a message for us today before the camp. Um, I don't know whether you yearn for something more in life, in your life with Christ. I don't know whether you, you can say that the thrill of personal devotion is gone or there, there is a spiritless boredom as you serve or that the joy of the Lord is missing. And, you know, you, you don't have to wait for a church revival, you know, because the Lord can do a work now of personal renewal. Uh, God has you in His mind. And if, if the Word of God doesn't interest you or grab you, don't need to hide, but you have to be honest. Don't stop pursuing God because God is, God's hand of grace is, is reached out, outstretched. I know, I know of some people who uh, go for um, seminars, they go for BSF, Bible, uh, and all these uh, uh, Bible studies and uh, spiritual retreats and seminars. Now, I, I, I know that not all these seminars are, are helpful to me, so I don't attend all. But who am I to tell you that it's a waste of time for you? How can I say that? I attend many prayer events. I attend the Global Day of Prayer. I attend the Day of His Power. I've attended a few momentums. It may not be very exciting to you, but it's a very special time for me. It is my appointment with God. Very often in these meetings, even though the teaching may not be very good, I feel refreshed in my faith. I feel very nourished in God's presence. I feel very strengthened after the worship. I feel very drawn uh, towards God. This is called pursuing. Don't let anybody tell you that the things you do running here and there and the seminars and the causes to attend, it's all a waste of time. Nobody will say that to you. This is a pre-church camp sermon. I, I do take, um, I, I have attended every church camp except for one year when I was in OCS. I take time, uh, I, take, I, I want you to take time uh, to seek God before the church camp. I want to ask you what, what are you expecting from this camp? This is not just another church camp. It's taken us two years to prepare and 
it is by divine appointment because God instructed Solomon, Robert Solomon, the bishop, to agree to take us, to accept the invitation. This is not another church camp. I attend every one of them because I take it as a hol- my holiday with God. I look forward to listening from God. And I know not all messages will minister to me or are good, but God still speaks. It is a time for me to take a serious self-inventory. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13.5 Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. I want you to go for this camp with a heart of expectation. I want you to be praying now for yourself and the speaker and to expect great things to happen. Can I pray with you now? Father, we are the one who change. You are the unchanging God. We are the one who is... We are the unstable one. You are faithful and reliable. When you close the book of Malachi, you close with the promise of the coming Messiah. This is grace. This is, this is the commitment of God towards the people of God, the children of God. And God, I pray that we will know and cling on to the God who is faithful, the God who has called us to fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You do not change. God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. God, give us hearts to respond and the will to act. Father, renew us. See what is in our hearts. Put a spotlight there. Sustain us, reform us, revive us. I pray, Father, we are going with expectancy that, Lord, you will speak to us and you will do wonderful things among us. So I pray that you will prepare uh, Bishop Robert Solomon. You will give him the word that you have prepared for the people of God in PPH. I pray that this church camp will be our holiday with you and it will be a very special church camp. Come, Lord Jesus, refresh us, renew us, and continue to do your wonderful work in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Let's go for lunch.